Well, the Valley District Tournaments are finally here. Welcome in. Today is Tuesday, May 14th, and this is another edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. I'm Greg Medea, JMU football beat writer at the Daily News Record. Join alongside Cody Elliott, our prep writer, and Jim Sacco, sports editor at the DNR. And that's that's where we'll start today on this edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod is with uh, the Valley District Tournaments. We'll, we'll kind of touch on a couple of them here, but Cody, I know it's been kind of a long spring up until this point. I know that you've been you've been waiting for the postseason. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the time that we've all kind of been looking forward to, and I think mostly because it's it's a pretty wide open um, postseason in a lot of the sports. I think it's going to provide for a lot of fun first round matchups, fun second round matchups, and um, it, it should make for some interesting games here in the postseason. I was going to say, a couple of things rained out last night, right? A couple of things washed out, pushed it today or tomorrow. Uh, one game you were at, though, last night, right, on the soccer side, correct? Yeah, I was at uh, Rockbridge County TA. That was actually the only, of all the Valley District games last night, that was the only one that was played. Um, Rockbridge County uh, used a couple of second-half goals, pulled away there. So, um, TA season um, comes to an end. Uh, they're the first ones to go down. And, you know, then tonight we'll see, you know, who, who can uh, kind of keep their season alive. Because tonight, you know, is the round where you, teams are playing to keep their seasons alive you know from from here out you can have teams who have already clinched regional bursts and stuff like that but tonight everybody's playing you know to keep their season alive so that'll make it fun so these are the these are the do or die games people should be paying attention to if they're interested to see uh you know who, who could be playing for a valley district title and who is just done who's packing up the bags and looking forward to football season correct yeah yeah i mean because <laughs> you know you look at it and, and the number one seeds in each sport have already clinched their regional berth so then tonight you've got those three six and those um the four or five matchups going on, and so then, um, like I said, from here you'll still have some matchups where teams have already clinched their bursts, and and, th- and that's where sometimes you'll see you know maybe some upsets happen and stuff like that. But um, yeah, tonight it should be you know it should be fun. Everybody's playing, like I said, to keep their season alive, and and there's some good matchups all across the board. So looking forward to it. Yeah, so this is just the start of the postseason. Obviously, district, regionals, and then you know maybe a state, <laughs> maybe maybe a state berth for someone. Uh, let's let's just touch on the soccer's before we get to softball and then baseball. Uh, what's kind of the, the the big matchups you're looking forward to in soccer? Start on the girls' side and then go to the boys. Well, I think the biggest question on the girls is if any any other other city county team can kind of make a run here. Um, I, I think Broadway, you know, they're the number one seed. Um, they they shared the district title in the regular season with Harrisonburg. Harrisonburg obviously moves over to Class Five. So, you know, they're kind of expected to they're, – they're the overwhelming favorite in that district tournament. I mean, I, it's hard to see anybody else beating them. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, TA, which is in there as the five seed, or, or Spotswood, which, you know, seemed like they had a disappointing year all year, but somehow still managed to get the three seed in the district tournament. If one of those teams can kind of make a run, get a, get a win or two here, um, get into regional play, and then you obviously you never know what can happen once you get there. So um, I think that's the biggest storyline over there is just seeing if one of those other city-county teams in terms of Spotswood or TA can make a run and then over on the boys you know the Spotswood boys are kind of hoping to make their own push into the state tournament possibly Um, you know they weren't able to overcome Harrisonburg throughout the regular season Luckily for them, you know, Harrisonburg, like like on the girls' side, moves over to Class 5. So they're kind of looking for, you know, a deeper run than districts. They should win the district tournament, and then hopefully from there they, they hope to go, you know, into regional play and in the, in the states, hopefully. Okay, Jim, I'll, I'll ask you. I'll bring you into the conversation. How are you, first of all? I'm doing all right. Good to, good to be back. Good, <laughs> good to be back. Yeah, back from, back from hours and hours on a train and then some Milwaukee Brewers <laughs> baseball. He, he's back. But to, to keep the conversation going with the – 
Valley District tournaments. Is there a bigger favorite in any of the four tournaments than Turner Ashby softball? Is there is there a bigger favorite in any of them? I, I mean, here's the thing: is I, I think we may be slapping that big favorite on TA softball a little. I I don't want it. Obviously, we're not doing it prematurely because it's the postseason. But there 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 are some kinks in the armor there in the in the latter half of the season. Yeah. There was the the the, the, the Rockbridge was that the, the yeah. ba- a bad loss to Rockbridge yeah. County. Uh, you know, it's the last game of the year. I mean, it yeah. just they had a couple games where they they beat Fort by what, what one nothing. So it was you know they kind of showed a little bit of. You know, some maybe some vulnerability there um, towards the end of the year that kind of made, you know, you kind of second guess if they're as big of a favorite as we once thought. It, but maybe is that Clint Curry gamemanship? I mean, yeah. he's known for his gamemanship. <laughs> Seriously, now is he? You know, he's the kind of guy who's going to use that. I mean, heck, he'd use a ten nothing win over the number one team in you know in. in Four A, as you know, he'd be like, "It's terrible. You played a bad game out there. We're better than that." Even though they beat a four or five A team, nothing's ever good enough yeah. for Clint Carter. Even though they beat a, you know, they beat a four or five A team, ten nothing. So you know, I, I think, and maybe I'm gonna backpedal a little bit. Maybe they are the big favorite because of those that that late yeah. season bad loss to Rockbridge County. Maybe he just. He let that team know. I mean, he's not the kind of guy who's gonna sit there and and, and you know. Dance around anything with the, his, with his girls. I mean, he's gonna let them let them know what's up. You know what, what's going on and what's up, and they're gonna turn it around if they can. And and I think that's maybe where. So let me backpedal. No, I don't think there is a bigger favorite because because of that bad late late, late bad late season loss to Rockbridge County and and knowing that that probably made made Clint Curry's head explode. Yeah, I mean, I I saw him after uh, I think it was a seven or eight nothing win over Broadway and and. You know they they were very impressive in that game by all means, and then after the game you would have thought they lost by the, by his demeanor. So I saw him after that game. I did not see him after the Rockbridge County loss or the Fort win, but I can imagine you know what he was saying to the girls in the dugout and and kind of like Jim said, I would imagine that they probably are going to respond pretty uh, strongly to the to that late season kind of let down a little bit. And um, I would ex- I would expect you know. This is a team that's talked about a state tournament run all year long, so you know that might have woke them up a little bit. Maybe at the right time. Maybe they needed that loss before the playoffs came. Um, I would expect them to maybe come out here in a little bit of a tear in the postseason. Because they were ahead of schedule last year, you know, when they went down to the the state quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. You know, they were they were a year ahead of schedule, and I think a lot of people knew that. I think Clint knew knew that. I think a lot of the players knew that. That you know that was that was supposed to be this year, not last year. So I think that. Is a little bit of the motivation there too. I mean, the bad loss to Rockbridge County, knowing that hey, this is the last year we got this fantastic pitcher, Michaela Sizik, on the mound for us, and and you know, and some of those bats. Carly Davis is a senior, right? Is yes. she not? You know, and the big bat of Carly Davis, and that's two Division One players, right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and that's what I think separates. You know. You can have letdowns at times throughout the regular season, and I think. But when you look at this district, you know. At, from the two spot, which is Fort Defiance, through about the five spot, you could you could kind of you know any of those teams can play with each other and they've all beat each other at one point this season and and that's what I've kind of said would make for a fun postseason. But at the same time, when you look at the talent level on Turner Ashby, I mean it's it's way above the rest of those teams. And so, it, like I said, unless they just play a really poorly game or or you know they they don't. You know, something has to go. Something weird has to happen, I think, in order for them not to win the district championship. And I mean, if they don't win the district championship, the tournament championship, they're still going to regionals. They're just going to be, you know, on the road at that point. And 
you know, who knows what happens then. And I'm not saying they're going to lose it. I'm just saying, you know, if they do, I mean, they're still in. I still mean, apply is, for a state. Yeah, state they, state still, got, they yeah. still got a chance to play for a state tournament bid. Uh, but I don't think that's the way Clint Curry or those girls want to go about this. You know, they like to be in Bridgewater or a JMU yeah. uh, as much as possible. They would like to, you know, all the way to Salem, really. I don't think they want to step foot away from Rockbridge County, or excuse me, Rockingham County. They want to get away from Rockbridge County. County. (laughs) I don't think they want to step foot out of Rockingham County until they got to make that trip down to the Moyer Complex. Interesting. Broadway and Spotswood will play tomorrow. Uh, We'll play tonight, excuse me. That'll be tonight. Uh, And the winner will play at TA tomorrow. Uh, That game is at 5.30. So Turner Ashby softball, the Knights uh, looking uh, to take the Valley District Softball Tournament as the number one seed on the baseball side. How about T.A.? <laughs> I mean, how, I think it was like, what, two or three podcasts yeah. in a row? We're just like, you know, we're, we're telling everyone how good Broadway was how, how, or is. We're telling people, you know, how, you know, that, that district's kind of wide open with the youth yeah. in it. But then we'd always throw that tack on the end. It's like, you know, but you know what? I'm not surprised if T.A. ends up winning this thing. You know, I'm not surprised if Turner Ashby ends up winning this thing. You know, sure enough, T.A. ends up winning this thing. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, no surprises. No, it's not. And, and, and But, again, like, th- that's one of the districts where I feel like the team might be the, the least considered the favorite. You know, I, I feel like that tournament really is going to be a really good tournament. Um, you know, even after that Broadway TA game, TA won that game. They deserved to win that game. They played better that night. But it didn't feel like Broadway necessarily played poorly. Um, even though they, lo- they they lost two games in a row, including the last place Waynesboro to close out the year, which, you know, on paper looks really, really bad. But, um, you know, Tim Turner said, you know, he, he felt the team hit the ball well against Waynesboro. just happened to hit it right to Waynesboro defenders. And, you know, against TA, a couple things here and there just didn't happen to go their way. So they're still a good team. And then you look at, you know, Fort Defiance has come on late. Rockbridge County's playing well. Um, Spotswood's still in there, and, and they've showed that they can play with those teams at times. So I just think that tournament's going to be just wide open. It could be, you know, you could see some really crazy upsets happen. Um, you know, and then who knows? We could be back to TA Broadway here at the end of the week. But at the same time, I feel like that, that tournament has the most potential um, to see kind of, you know, some different winners and some different upsets happen. And what I love about that, that Broadway loss to TA or the, the TA win over Broadway for the regular season title was if that's any other team beating Broadway in Broadway for the for the regular season district championship. Okay, or if that's Broadway winning that game. Okay, there's a dog pile. Mm-hmm. Okay, there there is just there, there's people running out of the dugout throwing their mitts in the air. Uh, you know what is t- what does an Andrew Armstrong TA led team do? Nothing. Yeah, just I just mean, like just like another game. You were there, right? Yeah, I mean they they, they were standing in the outfield. I kept waiting on you know I'm sitting there waiting on this special moment to happen, and they they sit there and they get the ice from the trainer and they're icing their shoulder. They talk to Andrew for a few minutes, and then they they went straight to the dugout, got their stuff, and you know a couple of guys are starting to goof off a little bit, and Andrew's like no straighten them up, and he tells them to head to the bus. So I mean it was just very business like. I mean in their approach after that game, and they're like the Yankees. They're well, like the, the evil. They're like the evil empire of the Valley district you know they're like this new york yankees team that just it's like you know hey i expect to win at the very least this regular season every year so why make a big deal about winning the regular season yet again and i almost feel like that's kind of what broadway was just you know kind of a shrug your shoulders type of attitude because it was just you know what are you going to do it's ta and it's it's was the moment was the moment too big for them you think 
maybe. I mean, you have to wonder with the way they ended their season. I mean, back-to-back losses certainly would say, you know, the pressure one got the, to him. And I think Tim Turner mentioned that when I talked to him after the game. He said that the pressure got to him a little bit, and he and he didn't think that they realized they had the pressure until after the loss happened to Waynesboro. Then they realized, man, it, we did kind of feel the pressure. But, yeah, I mean, it was just – it was. A, but you got to wonder. I mean, T.A. was just as young. I mean, T.A., you know – has just as many sophomores and freshmen as they do. So, and what a bad. I mean, talking about bad losses. Uh, yeah. I mean, what, you know, with all due respect to Broadway, I mean, it just that's, that's just. I mean, that loss to Waynesboro cannot happen. And it just felt like it's. It just felt like it just set it up perfectly. I mean, after that, after they lose to Waynesboro the night before, coming into that game, you just had. I mean, and it suddenly went from where they could have been playing for a, a tie for the regular season title to they were playing for it outright, and you had to feel like. You know, it just felt like it was TAs for the taking after that, after losing to Waynesboro. I mean, because I, I, I had somebody even send me something on Twitter because just the week before I'd put on one of the blogs or on here or somewhere I'd said that Waynesboro was was the only guaranteed win in the district. I can find the audio. Bust, bust. <laughs> and I mean, sure enough, then they come out and beat Broadway and, and snap the 15 game winning streak. So, yeah, I mean, that just proves my point about what I said earlier. You never know what to expect with these teams. Um, you know, who knows what can happen here in the postseason. I'm just wondering what this does for Turner Ashby. I'm wondering two things. One, what this does for Turner Ashby going forward entering regionals. And I'm taking the, the Valley District Tournament out of the equation because it doesn't mean anything to them at this point. Obviously, they want to win it, but just from moving on standpoint. I'm wondering what that, you know, securing that bid in the regular season does for Turner Ashby moving forward. I'm also wondering what not securing that bid that's for Broadway. That's for Broadway moving oh, forward because now they gotta, you know, they gotta, you know, get in through winning the tournament or if they, you know, if they lose in the semis, winning the consolation game. Well, yeah, and I mean, if, if you think if Fort can beat Waynesboro tonight, um, you know, they can they can throw out Tristan Shoemaker, a UVA baseball commit, you know, against Broadway, and then you know if Fort can manage to do that, which Fort has had Broadway on the has beat them once and had them, you know, was leading them going into the seventh inning and in they're in the loss to them. So, you know, Fort has played well against Broadway. So then all of a sudden, if they are able to get a playoff win against them, that puts Broadway in a winner go home situation, a consolation game. And that's a tough situation to go in, you know. Yeah, I mean, and especially if you're talking about a team that you know may have folded to some pressure. Yeah, uh, that's 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 not good for a team that it looked like would have been you know wouldn't be in that situation at all. You know, two three weeks ago, now to all of a sudden be in that game, you got to think. You know, they want to talk about pressure. That's I mean, that's the, that's pressure right there. Yeah, I mean, being I think the goal for them right now is get back into that obviously the district championship game and maybe get another shot at TA just from a, a an emotional standpoint moving yeah. in the regionals and and obviously to you know keep the season rolling for them. I mean, they don't want to be coming out of that consolation bracket. I mean, they do not want to be coming out of there because they're going to, God knows where they're going to go uh, for the regional Back the bags. Yeah. Back the bags on the bus. Yeah. But I just wanted to get back to TA for a minute and ask you, how, how the heck did they grow up so fast? I mean, this was a team with freshmen and sophomores, and then you were wondering, man, is this is this the year TA falls apart? Uh, how did they grow up? How did Dan Armstrong, I guess, keep this team going in the right direction? I, I, I talked to Jim about it last week. He, Andrew Armstrong, I just think he's just so experienced, and he's been there so many times, and he, he's just so, you know, cool, calm, collected through it all. And I think, you know, he just had the patience to kind of coach them through it all. And he, you know, even when they had really bad losses where they committed six or seven errors, he wasn't, you know, necessarily freaking out and, and, and you know, 
over overdoing it at the time. Um, I think he just coached them through it, and I think you know he's let them kind of go through the pains. They've played a tough schedule. They played teams like Sarando and and some of these really good non district teams. And I just think you know as the season has progressed, they've grown up. And you know you you do when you go to TA, you do still have that certain type of mentality and certain type of confidence about you. And I think that those players had that, and they kind of knew they would get it turned around. And sure enough, they did. I mean that's that's the answer. I mean it's Andrew Armstrong. I mean he played ball at Ohio State. He played Big Ten baseball. You know, and I think on top of all the, the, the tradition that he knows that he has there at TA, because he played in that tradition, and those kids know that they have their TA, I think on top of all that, he preaches the fact that, you know what, it's high school baseball. <laughs> you know, I mean... It, How it, about it, that? Somebody can realize he that. Keep, I mean, he keeps it real. I mean, you know, hey, man, this is high school baseball. You know, there's a lot more to go. If you're good at baseball, there's a lot more to come. There's a lot more joy, and there's a heck of a lot more disappointment on your way if this is what you're going to do with your life. This is high school. You know, put the mitt on, go out there, play the field, have fun while you're doing it, but, you know, you're doing it at TA. So there's those expectations. But at the same point, it's high school baseball. And I think that is the difference maker. And I think a lot of teams maybe don't have that you know i don't you know turner's a heck of a coach out there at broadway but i think a lot of that you know a lot of those kids put that pressure on themselves hey we got to go out there and be ta that's everyone in the valley district though hey we got to go out there and take this from ta hey we got to go take this from da and then you don't take it from ta and you're just you're just it's been that way for a long yeah, time and you're yeah. just and you're just floored because you could the one goal you had in mind was taking the valley district title away from ta it's just it just it just it didn't happen you're just gut it and then you're just there goes your postseason and i think that and that's why this Valley Tournament is going to tell me a lot more. I think tell everyone a lot more about Broadway than it is about TA because you know what TA is and you know what TA is always going to be. I want to see where Broadway, you know, what Broadway can step up and do now because all season long that had to be all they were talking about and not, and it didn't happen. So hey, now you got another chance. Right. The opportunity was there. And they didn't. They didn't come through and make it spot, happen. It reminds me of Spotswood basketball. I mean, you know, every <laughs> yes. year you you have like this year we thought the Broadway boys might have a chance, and this you know we've in past years different girls teams have had chances, but until that happens, you know, it, it's you know it's one of those things I'm not going to believe it until I see it, and that's that seems to be the case with TA baseball. I mean, well, it's like the Broadway girl. Not the let's yeah. jump the winner. It's like that Broadway girls basketball team that won the state yeah, title. Exactly. You know, I mean, they got over that. You get over that Spotswood hump, yeah. and I mean. While it wasn't a cakewalk for them, but they got over the Spotswood hump, and then boom, there they are playing in the Siegel Center, winning a state championship. Uh, it's the same yeah. thing in, yeah. with TA and baseball. Okay, so if it's not Broadway and TA in the title game in the Valley District Baseball oh, title God. game, who do you who do you who do you <laughs> see in it? Any any forecasting from from Cody? Uh, well, that's I. Like I said, I think if there's a third team that I think can make the most noise, I think it's Fort Defiance. I think that they have the most talent. And, you know, like I said, when you have an arm like Tristan Shoemaker, um, that's enough to make a difference. I know they've got an- another couple of good pitchers. So I think that's the most likely team. If the- if it's not one of those two, I think that Fort's in the best spot where they can make a run and, and possibly possibly win the district championship. Where do you see Spotswood in this whole deal? Well, I'd, Spotswood did not end the season well. Uh, they ended it pretty poorly. Um, they played Rockbridge County tonight. Um, I would not be surprised if they took a first-round exit, but I also wouldn't be surprised um, if they you know, made it to the next round. If they play TA, they've played TA well this year. Um, they lost both games, but 
One game was called early after, you know, T.A. scored six runs in the sixth inning and Spotswood, from what I understood, just basically took one for the team and said, we, you know, we don't want to have to replay this. So they just went ahead and um, took the loss on that one. And then the other one was a walk-off in Bridgewater early in the year. So, um, you know, that Spotswood team, they've, they've got some potential and they've got talent. Um, but, you know, late in the year they haven't been able to put it all together. And so you kind of got to wonder just, you know, if they're hitting uh, a downward trend at the, at the wrong time. Yeah, the post Daniel Odercourt era just just not not <laughs> yeah, great not great for Spotswood. There's some uh, rebuilding going on out there for sure. It happens. Everybody goes through cycles. But good stuff, Cody. Where, where are you going tonight? Uh, I'll be at Broadway um, for Broadway Spotswood softball. So okay, winner gets TA. What what just just to touch quickly on Broadway softball. What happened? Well, they've had they've had a lot of injuries. They're very young. Um, uh, they're very young as a team, but then they've also had a lot of injuries. And the, the most important injury, um, most recently, was obviously Taylor Hankins, and um, she she missed basically the entire year pitching wise. She played some shortstop for a while, um, and then that ended up bothering her hand enough. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the hand injury is, but I know it's enough. She's now out for the year. Becky's confirmed that, so um, she's out for the year. And I think just you know that along with so many other injuries. At one point, they had you know, a player who hadn't pitched in two years pitching for them regularly. So it's just been a, a kind of a, a rough year for them in terms of all that, and I think it's just kind of snowballed for them. Um, they're actually fortunate to still be in, a, in the four spot and hosting a first-round game considering how much they've they've dealt with. So I think they've got a chance tonight to actually get a win over a Spotswood team that's kind of been struggling as, as of late too. Yeah, interesting. So have fun there at softball. Uh, Jim and I are going to talk Ben Spots, another uh, former Valley Fort Defiance baseball. Yeah, I was saying uh, another Fort Defiance grad, uh, Ben Spots, the former, the former Eastern Mennonite University baseball coach. That's going to take a while to get used to, but yeah, uh, Ben, uh, who was at Eastern Mennonite, leaving to take a job at his alma mater, Bridgewater College. Jim, you were there yesterday. Uh, just what was your initial thoughts when you walked in the room and you realized it was going to be Ben Spots? Well, the initial thought when I walked in the room was I saw this signature bushy walrus mustache of Ben Spots' dad, Vic Spots, and I was like, oh, it's Ben. You know, <laughs> now I know who's getting hired. That was, I mean, it's a, it's a good, I mean, obviously it's a great hire for, for Bridgewater College. It's a devastating hire for Eastern Mennonite University, and it's a good move, I think, for Ben Spots. I mean, Ben played at played at Bridgewater College was first baseman slash DH there after moving from second base he played second base in high school for his dad at Fort Defiance uh, and then you got to look at what he did at EMU I mean I think we, we laughed a little bit about the uh, the press release that EMU sent out where they dubbed it the Eric you know where they dubbed it the previous era the Eric Kratz era which is true though but I mean Two Odak births since the Eric Kratz era, and both have been under Ben Spots. That's uh, nothing to laugh about because no. that's a, that's an accomplishment there at a school that maybe doesn't have the resources like some of the other schools in their conference do. Yeah. Uh, so that that's quite an accomplishment that he that he was able to manage there. Exactly, and the, his 117, 149, and one record over his seven years there. He averaged, I believe, 16.7 wins a year, which puts him as the t- in the, of the 10 head coaches in the 51 year of the pro- 51 years they've had a baseball program there at EMU. That's the highest average is 16.7 wins a year. So I mean, he, you know, and he had a good thing going over there. And, and I and that was the first question I asked him was like, you know, you had a good thing going over there, and he just kind of like, yeah, I did, but. Bridgewater was home. That's where he played. That's where he was his assistant and recruiting coordinator for 14 years under Kirk Kendall. Uh, you know, that's where it all took place. And, you know, I mean, you can't, 
you know, whether there's more money involved or not, we'll never know because they're private schools and we can't FOIA for it. Uh, I don't think that really, I don't think that would have mattered in, in the long run. I think ultimately, you know, when he left uh, in, what was it, 2012, he left as the assistant coach there. Uh, you know, he, it was something he necessarily didn't want to do or he was skeptical of it. And then he talked to Kurt Kendall, and, and this is according to his dad, Vic, uh, you know, and Kurt Kendall told him, it's like, you know, yeah, go. I mean, you know, let's, and, and, and how Vic explained it to me is back in the day in the early 2000s, Vic, who coached at Fort Defiance for 29 years, has 300, exactly 300 wins uh, under his belt, was also defensive coordinator for the Fort Defiance football team. And this is back in the early 2000s when their defense was known as the Vultures. It was a fantastic defense. Brian Laskanik, a fantastic running back at Western Alamaro, had a, and I think it was 2001 or two, and don't don't quote me on the year, but it was early 2000s, led Western Alamaro to undefeated season. They were fantastic. They ran the, 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 the this crazy offense. Uh, Fort Defiance goes over the mountain, the, the Crozet, shuts down Brian Laskanik, shuts out Western Alamaro to advance, and, and who's leading that defense Vic. is Vic Spots. Vic Spots, though, was all what, what he said was like, you know, when I was defensive coordinator, I always felt like I was just a suggester to the rest of the program. And as an assistant coach at Bridgewater College Baseball, that's all Ben Spots was, was a suggester. Right. Kurt, Kurt's the man there. Kurt's the man. And what Vic said he told Ben over a couple beers out by the shed on their house was, go be a decision maker. Go learn how to be a decision maker. And, you know, and that's probably the best advice that. Ben Spots has ever gotten in his, you know, coaching career was from Kirk Kendall and his dad was, you know, go learn how to be a decision maker. And, you know, Ben said that's what he did at EMU. You know, he learned how to be a decision maker. And that's, you know, that's what you need if you're going to be over there, you know, anywhere really for that matter. But that that was the selling point. I mean, he doesn't get that job. Is he? I don't think he still gets that job if he's, if he's still an assistant at Bridgewater and, and Kurt leaves. Right, because there's probably going to be interest from other sitting head coaches. Exactly, and I think, you know, he gets a shot at it. I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily sure he gets introduced. Uh, but I think the seven years at EMU is what got him introduced over there at BC. Yeah. So this was Ben Spots to Jim yesterday on coming home on returning to Bridgewater. It's a chance to come home, and after being here, um, you know, being involved with the program for so long as a player and a coach. And uh, excited what we did at East Manhattan University and the freedom that they gave and the program we built and the guys we had. It was just a good opportunity to come home to a place that's very special to me. And, um, you know, I'm excited to, to, to move on with that and come back here. And uh, a lot of good memories here as a player and a coach, and I'm looking forward to forming some new ones here. He also said it was a lifelong goal uh, to coach at BC. Uh, so this was spots also on, on coming back to Bridgewater. It's been a lifelong goal to come back here. I think, you know, for me, the decision to coach small college baseball was one that I really, you know, while we all have desires to maybe coach at bigger programs and bigger places, I've always felt this is where I belong as a small college baseball because of the experiences I had. And um, it's good baseball. And it's, I think sometimes people don't understand how good, the, how good the talent level is and how good the game is. So for me, um, you know, to put myself in position to, uh, to earn this job was important to me. And I think, um, you know, I knew the opportunity presented itself. This is where I wanted to be. So you could tell, just just totally excited uh, for the opportunity. The, the place, you know, he went to school, played there, coached there. And I think there's a part of this that he was a Kurt Kendall guy. You know, he was recruited by Kurt to play there. He coached for Kurt, worked for Kurt for all those years. And anybody that knows 
Division three baseball, whether just the local teams here or, you know, on a, on a wider scale, ODAC, nationally, whatever you want to do, they know the impact Kirk Kendall's had on small college baseball. Well, he changed the recruiting game in Division three. Right, Division and Ben III knows that. Completely changed it. Yeah. And, 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 go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. And, and, I mean, that's – and I think when – and, then, you know, he changed it. And then he hires Ben Spots to be his recruiting coordinator. So Ben Spots learns these things that Kurt was doing, which was the phone calls, which wasn't necessarily the get online and fill out a form and we'll get back to you. I mean, this is back in, you know, 2005, 2006, when, you know, people were still just getting online, filling out forms to go play Division Three baseball because, oh, Division Two or Division One didn't show any interest in me and I want to play baseball, and then getting the return phone call from the coach after they filled out this form or, you know, the interest sheet, you know, Kurt was actively calling kids. Kurt was going out to baseball games, even while he is athletic director and, you know, baseball coach. He was doing the D1 recruiting at the D3 level. Exactly. And, and I think I think the other thing, too, is there's just such respect from Ben toward Kurt uh, that, that, that that probably played a factor in him wanting to be the guy who, who, who came in after Kurt. I, I know just from talking to Ben that day that, Kurt was getting ready to coach his last game the week before that. Uh, EMU played host to BC, and Ben was telling me, he's just like, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, what what Kurt's done there. And, and you just you, from that conversation, you get the sense that, oh, man, like if, if that job were to ever open, uh, he may be the guy. Yeah, and, and, it's, and that respect is just, like you said, it's just so obvious. And it, I think it's anyone who's been on his staff, because, I mean, the guy's been there 34 years, and it's probably anyone that's played for him, probably anyone in that college. And just to... You know, the, for for Ben to you know, you, you, I don't think he had to tell anyone that was his dream job. I think you just knew when you talked to him that that's where he wanted to end up, and and you know, and it just never arose when he was there. And and you know, in February when Kurt announces, "Hey, this is gonna be my last. I'm just gonna worry about the AD duties." Uh, I mean, I can only imagine what Ben said. I mean, obviously Ben's in the throes of a of a season at that ready point. Ready for February. Easter Midnight season, yeah. But at the same point, he's got to be like, oh. Hmm, okay. Well, okay, this got interesting. Well, just let me know when it's posted, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, and let me get back here. But, I mean, yeah. he's, he's got his work cut out for him over there. Yeah. You know, this is a team that hasn't been, you know, hasn't won the ODAC. You know, he's got, like, I think he has a dozen ODAC titles. Uh, Kurt, he leaves with a dozen ODAC titles and 10 NCAA appearances. Uh, they had Their last ODAC title was 2014. Their last NCAA, NCAA appearance was 2014. Uh, they've missed the ODAC tournament in two of the last three years, yeah. and that's 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 a big break in tradition. And they're tenth in pitching, six point five four ERA. They're tenth in pitching in the ODAC, but the counter to that is they were first in batting, three oh nine. They led the ODAC in batting. When you think about the teams the ODAC had, you know Randolph Macon, Shenandoah, who went out there and beat Randolph Macon, the four seed Shenandoah, Shenandoah, who's who was swept in the regular season for the first time in program history by Ben Spots' EMU team this past year. Uh, you know, but, you know, you know, he's got some work to do out there in terms of the pitching, and, and, and the hitting seems to be there. I mean, Jared Biesecker, uh and I'm probably butchering his last name. Bicicker. Bicicker. I mean, led the ODAC in hitting, batted 421. First you know? team all ODAC guy. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure Ben has tried to recruit a lot of those kids that are on the current roster at Eastern Mennonite, at least some. Yeah. I mean, you got to think, and that, that's one thing you asked him about too. Was you know, are you gonna are you gonna try to recruit locally because the Valley District has a lot of players that probably can play at the D three level, as you see, you know, players from Spotswood or Harrisonburg or TA on on some of those rosters, and and this this was Spots' answer to that. 
I think I, I think Ben's recruiting ties are certainly going to help him. Oh yeah, I mean Fort Defiance guy played in the Valley. You know his, I mean, it's, his dad is is a quote unquote Valley legend in terms of high school baseball. I mean, you don't get 300 wins in 29 years in one high school and not at least leave with the Leg part of the legend. You know, if you're playing <laughs> if you're playing title horse, you at least got Leg in there. Uh, and you know, and and you know, Kurt. When Kurt was really hardcore recruiting the Valleys, he all—I mean, he has his whole career. But I mean, back in when he probably when he first brought brought Ben on, we're talking what 2004? Yeah, 2000. No, earlier than that. Early, but, early 2000. Yeah, early 2000. Ben was what? Ben was a 97 grad 97, of a 97 yeah. grad of BC. I mean, there for 14 years while he's sitting while when Ben is first recruiting the Valley back in those days. You think the Valley is a hotbed of baseball now? I'm sure. I mean, back then. I mean, yeah, the Bococks were still playing in high school. Uh, they, by the way, they're getting ready to play the county league. Yeah, I know. Don't remind me, man. I'm, we're not ready for that. We still got high school playoffs. Uh, but the Bococks were playing in high school. I mean, granted, the Bococks were Division One caliber players, obviously. Uh, but, I mean, there were some other good players on some of those TA and those Broadways and those Waynesboro teams. I mean, the Waynesboro teams had uh, – uh, goodness gracious! I mean, you can see if you go in the RCB. Speaking of the RCBL, if you go in the RCBL, you see half of those those Waynesboro. They were st- state runner-ups. I think two out of three years. Uh, the Jake Peelings, who went to Virginia Tech, but anyway, uh, a bunch of the Jay Thompsons. Uh, those guys, you know, that he's was, still playing. Yeah, he's still playing RCBL. The Terrell <laughs> Jenkins is who I believe is probably still playing the RCBL. Uh, you know, that was the teams that you know that Ben was recruiting from when he was at BC, recruiting coordinator at BC. I, I think you're gonna, with the young talent we got in the valley now, and you know, as we you know we talk about with Cody a lot. I mean, I think a lot of those guys that aren't getting the JMU offers, that aren't going to Virginia Tech, that aren't going to you know Stetson, if that's still a thing. That was a big thing in the valley back in the day. He's going to Stetson. You know, who went to Stetson. Uh, Tyler Bocock. Jake Degrom. Jake Degrom with the Stetson. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. know that's random, but and there was a kid out of Sharando who went to. No, Shrando and he transferred to Hanley with the Stetson. Okay, but anyway, right. Michael Carpenter maybe, and I think he beat T.A. in a walk-off Grand Slam in a state mm-hmm. title game. And I may have that name wrong. Uh, but uh, or I may just completely made that story up. I'm not sure. Maybe you did. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, the point being, there's a lot of talent in the value. Because if, if you don't get the suitors, if you don't get yeah, uh, the kid at Fort, you're yeah. not going to get them because they're, they're good players and they're going D1. They're great players and they're going D1. But if you can get a couple of those guys maybe on those teams yeah. uh, that are that are you know you can get three, a, you can get a Peter Shine right right you know or you can get a yeah I mean you know yeah I mean you're doing all right for yourself you can get a good you can get the guy who's catching uh, you know T R Williams yeah you know who's, you know you get you get you get good ball players and you know and and if you learn under a guy like Kirk Kendall who changed the Division three baseball recruiting game and you carried on that tradition for him and you carried it over to EMU. And you bring it back to be, I mean, you know, that this is win-win for everybody except for EMU. And now EMU's back at square zero when it comes to baseball. Yeah, I was going to, uh, that was my next question. Uh, where does EMU go from here? The search has started. Okay. Uh, I mean, it, that's already began. I mean, and, and it's, I mean, you know, that, that he's like, he, he knows he left a, a good, pretty good thing over there. And they do have a pretty good thing over there. Their roster's in good shape. Their roster's in Though, good shape. You know, retention at D3, you always got to worry about no matter, regardless of the sport. But he but, didn't leave the cover bare. Right. I mean, Jalen Lee, 
well, was you know leading the division yeah. three in home runs you know a month and a half into the season. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's I mean that 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 cupboard's not bare, and I what I just love about it is just from a you know storyline standpoint that we are I mean how much more spice can you add to that I mean I mean before it was you know student against the master you know when EMU played BC now it's going to be you know bed spots you know the man who led EMU to two ODAC post Eric Kratz era tournaments you know who left you know against whoever EMU hires you know? yeah that's that's I mean that's what it's going to be because we we cover those EMU BC games and, uh, you know, if there's something to make out of more than what it is already, we're going to have to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's any, you know, any sort of spicy story to go with anything, you know, works for me, you know, as a writer, as an editor, as I'm sure you know, and it works for you as well. Uh, but I, I'm just curious where they go. I mean, they got to, you know, they don't have terrible facilities over EMU. I, I like that ballpark a lot. I wish I was in my 70s. So I can live at Virginia Mennonite Retirement Community and get one of the balcony, uh, balcony, have my apartment be one of the balconies, so I can over, I can sit there and watch college baseball, you know, three four nights a week. I I do like the facility over there. That was another thing. Spots had a big part in Spots and his assistant Adam Posey. I know those guys. They really worked hard to upgrade that facility. You know, some manual labor, laying down bricks, mm-hmm. and they making sure the the uh, the backstop looked nice. I know they 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 played a big part in that. So that's another thing Ben Spots knows how to do. You know, make the most of his resources. Well, it's like it's like it's like his. His football counterpart at BC Bridgewater College, Michael Clark, always says, "You know, I'm I'm a Division three head football coach. It also means I'm assistant trainer. It also means I'm recruiting coordinator. It also means I'm field tech. You know, I mean, yeah, it's it, it's the Division three life. And, and and Ben seems very genuinely, and I stress that genuinely. I don't think it's just coach speak when you talk to him. I think he genuinely enjoys that. I think he, you know, he, he said, you know, this is, you know, everyone wants, everyone dreams of the bigger job and everything. And he's like, you know, and but I mean." I'm a small college baseball guy. Hey, he played D3 baseball. He coached, obviously, as an assistant at BC. He was a head coach at the D3 level at EMU. And now, you know, moving into the role at BC. So, yeah, small college baseball for life with, with Ben Spots. And he knows the, the, the what's going to happen in small college baseball. He knows if you're a second baseman in high school like he was, you know, Chances are you might have to be at first base. You might have to be in right field. You might have to, you know, learn how to make, you know, probably not, but maybe a little too late to learn how to be a catcher, but they may throw you as a backstop. I mean, you know, he, he's lived a life and he knows it. Now he's coaching the life and he just seems to be enjoying himself. I'm just, you know, I'm just at the clock's ticking on EMU now. I mean, they got to, they got to, they got to make a hire. I wonder if Eric Kratz has any plans post uh, post retirement. I don't know. I I heard Buster's name getting bannered around uh, on uh, on Mad Dog last week. Oh man! Well, that that may may be Mad Dog uh, being Mad Dog. You know, how about that for a sec? But I mean, he was talking. I mean, I heard something like you're talking about getting rid of, you know, clearing some of that rosters uh, roster on the Giants, and he may be a starting catcher here. But I can't. I can't imagine Buster going anywhere. No, no. See Bumgarner's no trade list. What what a smart guy. Smart guy. What, he doesn't want to go to contender? Well, no, he's doing it on purpose. I, I was reading the, the Ken Rosenthal story that uh, he wants those teams to negotiate with him a longer contract before oh, they trade with him. Oh, okay. Well, he's a smart man. Yeah, I was like, that's pretty good, Bumgarner, okay. or his agent, whoever told him to do See, that. See, I saw that list. I was like, what is he thinking? You don't want him. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> not knowing his luck, he'll get traded to the poor Mets. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, I, I just want to see him in the Central, as long as not the Brewers. I, I want to see him and uh, Puig go at it. I want to see him and Puig become teammates. That'd be hilarious to me. It would be funny. Puig, Puig makes friends, though. Yeah. He, he does. Uh, I, want, I just, I, but back to EMU, though. It, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Because, uh, like you said, good facilities there. Uh, their AD, Dave King, is a great guy. So, he, you know, you're going to be working for a good boss. Uh, and, you know, that, that's a program that, you know, has turned it around recently uh, and, and gone to the ODAC tournament. So whoever gets that job, there's going to be some talent there for them to yeah, have. Yeah, and, and I, don't want, I don't want people to think that, you know, by any means my bashing EMU. I mean, that's not the case here. I mean, David, Dave King is is – does a lot of good things, a ton of good things over there. I think the Jenny Logan, the women's basketball hire, was a good hire. It didn't show this past year, but I think down the road, I think that's going to end up being a very good hire. I think the Felix hire for EMU was a good way to keep it in-house and a smart hire on his part. Uh, you Young know, and energetic. Yeah, he, it could, it could really hit the road recruiting and, and make that program uh, you know, grow it, it, as much as they can. It's the same thing with with Logan on the women's side. You know, young, energetic, local ties. Larray grad, all time leading scorer. Larray. You know, she knows what's up in the valley in in the valley in terms of basketball. I just think you know, that's that's just. I think if if there's you know, Kirby Dean and and. Uh, Kevin Griffin. Kevin Griffin were, were tough pills to swallow for different reasons. It, theirs is more of a longevity pill to swallow with with uh, and and. You know the stability of those programs are going to be there. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a different tough pill to swallow because it's it, Ben was there making you know in seven years making very steady progress towards you know lifting that program up to another level and and it's going to be it's going to be the you know now they're going to have to sit there and watch it happen you know ten miles up the road down the road up the road no south is up so yeah. So we'll move on from Division Three baseball to James Madison baseball. As the Dukes, they, they have a big weekend ahead. And Shane Metlin uh, is with me now because we're going to talk Jamie baseball and then Jamie softball uh, as, as the Dukes begin the NCAA tournament on the softball side. Uh, but want to get to baseball first with James Madison. 30-21 and 21 overall right now, 10-11 and 11 in the CAA. Uh, they're home against Maryland today. That game really doesn't mean much uh, other than your typical midweek college baseball game. Uh, but the weekend ahead is, is absolutely massive uh, for James Madison as they try to secure a bid to the conference tournament, which will be held next week, May 22nd through 25th, at Veterans Memorial Park. Uh, the Dukes are at UNC Wilmington. Uh, beginning Thursday, and they'll play that series Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and it's it's pretty it's it's just a huge series for the Dukes, huge series for Marlon Eikenberry and company, because if they take care of business, they'll they'll be in the C eight tournament. If they don't, they're leaving it up to chance, and then regardless of the sports chain, that's that's never good when you leave leave things up to chance. Yeah, um, <clears throat> like you said, and we've talked about in before in here, they've got to make the C eight tournament this year. You can't. You can't be the host multiple years in a row without actually participating and expect, you know, people to be happy about it around here. Um, you know, so, yeah, if you want to see a baseball series with a lot on the line this weekend, uh, it's a good one to pay attention to. Yeah, you, you definitely. It is, it is one because both teams are kind of in the same situation, UNCW and JMU, who will meet uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday down in North Carolina. Uh, except the only thing, the only difference is James Madison is hosting the CAA tournament and UNCW is not. One one thing I will say is that James Madison has turned it around quite a bit. 
uh, compared to where they were about a month ago. When you look back and, and think back to that nine-game losing streak they endured, that was not a pleasant situation. And at that time, I thought, oh, man, there's there's no way they're coming back from this. It's The bottom had dropped out on Marlon Eikenberry and company in the past before. I'm just talking to a couple of the players. You know, they, they said – uh, you know, they, they were happy they were able to rally it a little bit. After they got swept at Charleston, uh, I think it was Nick Robertson, their closer, who told me uh, they had a, kind of a big barbecue cookout. They called it a chill and grill. Uh, and he said that kind of inspired the team to kind of let loose and just uh, just play well. You know, they, they swept Towson, JMU did. Uh, they took series uh, from Hofstra as well. Uh, they took a series at William & Mary. So they've played better within the last month, but of course it's going to come down to this final weekend. And just to set things up so you know uh, what's in play for this weekend, uh, just a look at the CA standings. Uh, Elon and Charleston, they, they've secured their bid for the conference tournament. Elon sitting at 30-22 and 22 overall. They're 19-5 and five in the league. They'll be the top seed uh, for next week's tournament. That's, that's one of the that's, – that's a team that – that's been really good from start to finish this year, uh, and a team that most people said, because of their pitching, would be in play uh, for not only the conference tournament championship, but uh, reach the NCAA tournament and have a chance to make some noise there. Charleston, uh, 32-19, 13-8 uh, in the league, and barring disaster, they'll be in the CA tournament. Now, and then here, here's your hodgepodge of, of a mess of a middle of the standings. you got William & Mary, JMU, UNCW, and Northeastern all tied for third in the league uh, at 10-11 and 11 in CAA play this year. And right behind those four squads or two squads with Delaware and Hofstra at 9-12 and 12 in the CAA. So a game is all that separates those six teams. Yeah, that's uh, pretty crazy. We dealt with something a little bit similar to that in basketball season where, uh, you know, towards the end of the year, everybody was jumbled up with the uh, CAA men's standings. I went into the last weekend of the season with JMU having a chance to finish either fourth or tenth, and they wound up getting a number eight seed. And it was it was very similar situation heading into the final weekends where it makes for exciting uh, competition and, you know, it also kind of causes a lot of headaches when you're trying to sort it all out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's for sure. And JMU is at UNCW, like I mentioned. Northeastern is at Towson. Charleston is at Delaware. And William & Mary is at Hofstra. So interesting, interesting dynamic with all four of those series having CA tournament implications. The only one that's on a bye this week is Elon. And they're, they're already sitting happy uh, with their top seed for the CA tournament, so it should be an interesting weekend. I'm actually going to head over to Veterans Memorial Park this evening uh, to try to talk to them after their game against Maryland about how they're feeling going in, uh, so you can look for that in the paper. Uh, in the paper this morning was Shane's story on the reaction that the James Madison softball team had to being sent to Ann Arbor, Michigan. You were over uh, at O'Neill's Grill this past Sunday night when the tournament field was announced. What was the scene at O'Neill's Grill? I mean, aside from the cookie skillets, uh, what was what was the scene there? Well, I mean, I went over there fully expecting to be talking about hosting a regional, you know, kind of uh, the last home 
hurrah for Megan Good and all that stuff. And they that's not what ended up happening. They were left out of those top 16 seeds that get the host. Uh, and they're heading to Ann Arbor. Um, for a regional, they should have a pretty decent shot at winning, even as the uh, you know second seed in that group of four. But um, there was there was there was some disappointment. You know they they handled it as you would expect. You know saying they were happy to be in. You know we're going to take the challenge in front of them. You know said all the right things, but you could tell just from the you know. It wasn't an overwhelming celebration to see their name pop up when it wasn't as a regional host, which, you know, I think pretty much everybody there was expecting that to happen. Yeah, so James Madison, they enter the NCAA tournament 47-7 and overall, won a CAA title, uh, tournament title, regular season title, uh, but won the tournament last week, uh, winning three games in three days, outscoring their opponents to 33-1. to uh, within that span, they're on a 19-game winning streak. They'll see DePaul, uh, the Big East champion, uh, which finished 34 and 14 uh, on Friday at 2 p.m. That's the first game of the regional. Number 15, Michigan, the 15 seed, Michigan, uh, will play St. Francis of Pennsylvania afterward. What do you make? Uh, I know you said it's probably a pretty good, uh, pretty good field for JMU to be part of uh, there in Ann Arbor and winnable. What do you make of some of the matchups, some of the potential, uh, some of the potential meetings James Madison could have uh, come this weekend? You know, I I would be surprised if it doesn't come down to JMU and Michigan at the end of the weekend. Um, you know, DePaul and St. Francis, those are programs that just step below what, you know, Michigan and JMU have both accomplished this year. And then it gets interesting because uh, two teams have met early, early in the season. Um and play an extra inning game before JMU broke through with a few runs in the ninth to uh, win that one. So they know they can beat the Wolverines, um, but also, um, you know, no, it's not an easy thing to do, uh, especially on their home field where I can't remember the exact numbers, but Michigan has had a, a pretty incredible record, just as JMU has had on their home field the past, you know, couple of years. So that uh, <clears throat> that's probably, you know, the big thing about not getting – these uh, the regional the host in Harrisonburg is you know they're going to play in front of you know some rowdy fans who are fired up for this they could have been doing that in their home stadium you know in front of you know friends and family given how many local kids are on the uh, JMU roster and everything so um, but they're you know ready to go they see what's in front of them the challenge is in front of them and that it's but it's a real possibility they could advance to a super regional and maybe beyond depending on how things go. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's the interesting part of this. You know, it's funny when you talk about the NCAA basketball tournament, coaches always tell you, it's all about the draw. Who cares where you play? Yeah. Uh, with softball, it kind of seems like it's somewhere in between. Like, you'd, you'd like to have the home regional if you don't have a great if you don't have a great field and it's going to be a tough one. Uh, but if you do have a pretty good field, now it's okay uh, where you play. So somewhere in between, it seems like it falls where, as opposed to the men's basketball side. But Michigan, as you said, Jamie, you beat them earlier this year. Uh, it was a 3 nothing game. I think Odyssey Alexander threw eight shutout innings. Mm-hmm. Uh, Megan Good ended up getting the save after she hit a home run. What, what are the challenges Michigan presents as you started to kind of take a peek at the Wolverines? Uh, similar to JMU, a team that can hit the ball and has, you know, good deep pitching staff, um, which, you know, I guess is kind of obvious when you look at those teams playing eight scoreless innings the first time they met. Uh, the pitching is going to be good, and uh, they have – Pitchers who can get it done on multiple days, which when you get into these tournament settings is, you know, the big thing. 
Yeah, for sure. It was it was something Jamie did throughout the CAA tournament uh, last week. You were there for two days before you went up to see a lacrosse team lose, uh, and when they faced Stony Brook University of Maryland in their NCAA game, uh, I was there at softball the Friday covering for you. Uh, something that that was clearly evident was that James Madison could just roll out any of their three pitchers, and they were probably going to have a good day. Yeah, and you know they'll probably try to rely, you know, as good as Peyton Burrish has been the last couple of years, um, they're probably going to try to rely on Odyssey Alexander and Megan Good as much as they can in these tournament situations and, you know, get their uh, get an inning or two out of Peyton Burrish whenever they can or need to. But um, this is, when it comes down, it comes down to your top players and you've got a two-time CAA player of the year and Odyssey Alexander who gets it done on both sides, you know, at the plate in the circle, and Megan Good does the same thing. Um, uh, four-time CAA Pitcher of the Year. Um, so, you know, I think they got to feel pretty confident about just, you know, they're going to be in any game because they have the pitching to get it done. Yeah, what? How, how much better has Megan Good gotten throughout this season? She's always been one of the top players in the country, but you think about when she started this year coming back from that knee injury that, that derailed her season uh, last year. How much better has she, got, has she gotten as she's gotten more comfortable? Uh, how would you kind of assess that? Yeah, I think it's, like you said, it's the, totally the comfort level. I don't think her skills diminished at all at any point. But, you know, I talked to her a little bit, you know, last week leading into the CAA tournament. For her, it was just sort of a matter of like, okay, I've been working out. I've been exercising for a year now. It wasn't until she started playing a few games where it was like, okay, am I the same person? Am, can I do the same things? Can I put the same weight on the knee in these competitive situations? And she pretty quickly figured out that she could. And, you know, once that happened, it was, you know, she felt the same as she did when she was National Player of the Year a couple of years ago. Uh, no, it's, it's really interesting. And when you think about kind of storylines and, and, you get that in the postseason, of course, but if she could carry this team, you know, not only out of this regional, but to a super regional, and then perhaps Oklahoma City, uh, by the time this tournament's all wrapped up, that would kind of be the send-off uh, you would think uh, Megan Good deserves. You know, Fort Defiance grad, plays at JMU, is here for five seasons because one season was taken away from her due to injury. Bounces back and then, you know, leads them. That would be the storyline uh, that would be talked about all over the country. Yeah, and clearly that would be a huge storyline, you know, like you said, nationally, locally, you know, given her, you know, local roots here. Um, yeah, you kind of, you know, we're, we're in a position where we're not rooting for anything, but that's a story whether you or not you can totally appreciate that storyline and you, you know you kind of live for the opportunity to tell that story if it happens um and you know it seems like it's a decent possibility it could getting past the super regional if they advance from michigan is always going to be tough because ucla is a really really good team they're on that opposite side they're pres- assuming that they get out of their still gotta get out of the regional but um yeah, um, you look at that, even just making it to a super regional, which would be kind of matching the biggest step this program has ever made, you know, would be something to send her off with. But I don't think anybody over there in the locker room thinks that 
making it to the College World Series is not a possibility for this group. Yeah, as you say, it's something this program has been pushing toward, whether it was under Mickey Dean or now under Lauren Laporte. It's something the program is, is striving to do. Do you think this lineup is as good as what they've had in recent years? Do you think about one through nine? I mean, heck, even the other day, uh, Laporte brought Victoria Figueroa off the bench in the first inning to hit a grand slam, and, and that was the that was kind of the, the decisive blow in the CA championship game against Elon. How, how do you assess where they are hitting wise and and kind of the, the strength of that 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 power that they have? Yeah, the lineup really just crushed CAA pitching. There's no other way to say it. Um, you know, that's going to be the, just the big question is if they can continue to get that kind of production or. They're they're not gonna we'll just say they're not gonna get that kind of production they did against the CA teams here late in the year. You're not gonna you can't count on eleven runs a game against that kind of competition. No, but can but, you can you get seven or eight? Yeah, can you get that, six? That that's, that's normally enough yes. to win, especially when you got good in Alexander. Yeah, and you know, that's the thing. And if you know, maybe your number nine hitter is not gonna go three for four in a day, but if they can get you a key hit at a key time that's that's a big thing and you know so far that's what they've shown they have the ability to do there's not really a hole in that lineup anywhere who's the toughest out in that lineup that's that's a tough one even you know um maybe kate gordon i mean she just i mean she hits for average she hits for power she does a little bit of everything but um you know a player like sarah jubas who doesn't necessarily put up the huge home run number i mean she puts up good home run numbers, but not, you know, record-breaking like Kate Gordon did this year. But, you know, she gets on base at a very high rate. I mean, it's really hard to say who the toughest out is. You know, some of them, you know, one thing I talked to Lauren Laporte about during that CAA tournament was what that lineup does for them. It's just, you know, their eight, nine leadoff batters can get on base, get, you know, um, they put them in a situation where then, you know, maybe there's base runners on for Kate Gordon when she comes up in the number two spot. And what are you going to do? Are you going to walk Kate Gordon just to pitch to the CAA player of the year in the number three spot? Or, you know, Megan Good coming up after that? Like, they make it very difficult on other teams to find any hole in that lineup to try to pitch around or pitch to and, you know, get into better situations. Okay, when, when we talk next week about what happened to this softball team? What kind of chances do you give it that we're also going to be talking about maybe them playing in a Super Regional? 60-40, maybe? I, yeah, I, you know. There, people who follow the national softball scene even more than I do even, you know, feel like JMU might be the favorite to win that region. Um, whether, you know, it's just the fact that they've already beaten Michigan, they have this deep pitching staff, there's maybe a little extra chip on their shoulder going on the road. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, I don't think people will be surprised either way if it's Michigan or JMU that advances. Gotcha. Now, interesting stuff, Shane. And, uh, next week we'll, we'll talk about softball. We'll definitely talk baseball uh, a little bit depending on what happens to JMU. So maybe not definitely. Uh, maybe it's a possibility we're talking baseball if Jamie's playing in that CA tournament. Uh, also on the baseball side, the Rockingham County Baseball League starts this weekend. Which is hard to believe, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know you get excited. You, you you love the county league. Oh, it's it's fun. It's it's fun in the Valley League too when they get started later uh, later this spring. But yeah, uh, it's kind of hard to start getting making that transition mentally from you know high school college sports to 
Wait, this is starting up already? <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it. It's, it's one of the earliest times for the Valley League to start. Uh, so I'm sure we'll, we'll have coverage of that in the paper. And, and when Bob Weiss and the Turks get going, we'll have something on the Turks. So uh, plenty of, of bat, bats and balls coming coming your way uh, with, with the baseball and the softball. Uh, so good stuff, Shane. Uh, we'll, we'll reconvene next week. Uh, also, big thanks to Cody and Jim for talking prep sports. And then Jim, of course, uh, who was at the Ben Spots press conference yesterday. Uh, as he was named the coach at Bridgewater College, the Bridgewater baseball coach. Uh, so... Uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. Uh, for Cody, Shane, and Jim, I'm Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.